Welcome to Calvary Church, where we are dedicated to loving God and loving people. If you want to know more about us, please check us out online at calvary.ca. Now let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, Stephen McDonald. Welcome to episode three of our current message series on the book of James, as we continue unpacking the practical but powerful uh, truths that are found in this little book together. You know, from the first to the last uh, verse of this book, God gives us one of the most practical pictures of the Christian faith in the whole Bible. James envisions a, a community of faith, caring, providing, and praying for one another as they show what the life of Christ looks like in action every single day. This book serves as a, a blueprint in our lives and in the church for actually making faith work. Today we move into chapters 3 and 4 as James begins teaching about the, the power found in our words and how our submission to God can help to, to win the war that, that we're waging every day in our lives. Now, in chapter 3, James tackles the explosive power of our words and he compares the tongue to, to fire. When our words, like small sparks, begin to catch things uh, on fire and suddenly it can consume us. I believe I told this story once before, but growing up, one of my best friends and I were card-carrying, patch-wearing members of the Kiss Army fan club. <laughs> we were very dedicated soldiers back then, and uh, some of you remember the band Kiss, right? Face paint, loud guitars, shock and awe, rock and roll. Um, my parents hated this band. They hated every bit of music that was coming out of my room while I played it. And the leader of this uh, band was notorious for sticking his tongue out every time he had an opportunity to do so. And he had a long, pointy, demon-like tongue. And so my parents especially weren't impressed with this guy. But he would stick his tongue out every time he got a chance when he's up there playing his, his uh, bass. And as young, impressionable rockers uh, in the making, we wanted to be just like this guy, right? So we would sit in, in our room listening to these albums and we would take clothespins <laughs> and, and put them on our tongue. And it was very painful, but we were trying to tame our, trunk, our tongue to be longer and pointier to look just like he did. And I can't say that it, it necessarily did anything other than put us through some pain. As a matter of fact, on a couple of occasions when my friend's mother wanted us to turn the music down, he'd bang it on the door, she'd open up the door, and then she'd look at the two of us in there listening to the music of these things on our tongue, and she just closed the door. Like, I don't even want to know what, what's happening right now. Now, it would be wonderful if taming our tongue was that easy, to go home this afternoon and get some clothespins, put them on your tongue, and that would keep you in check. But as we get into this chapter in James, in chapter 3, he doesn't necessarily recommend clothespins, uh, but he has some practical wisdom to help us bring some control to something that's so small, but actually has this massive impact in our lives. We all know that from time to time, our words gets us into some serious trouble. James 3, starting in verse 1, says, 
not many of you should become teachers. Now, this doesn't sound like a good promo commercial for getting teachers in the church. Not many of you should do this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. But he was really talking about influence and that you needed to be careful that you were pursuing things for the right reasons. Verse 2 says we all stumble in many ways, or we all make mistakes. I appreciate the fact that James is, is saying this because it gives us all a little bit of hope, especially when we understand the realities of our lives. He says anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. I think he's almost saying that sarcastically because he understands that perfection is never possible. And then comes the, the examples to help us see it. He wants us to understand this, and so he's going to give us a picture to kind of see what he's talking about. Verse 3, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. This little thing can turn this massive beast in a different direction. Now, he gives another visual. Or take ships as an example. Although they, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by very small rudders, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. <laughs> That's some powerful imagery and language right there. So imagine if, if the wrong words can destroy your life and other people. Imagine what words fueled by faith can do. And he goes on to say that this tongue, this small thing, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Oh, Oh, the subtlety of James, right? He doesn't, he doesn't make it, he doesn't sugarcoat it for us. He calls it like he sees it. Now think about that. How often have we said things that we just wish we could reel back, right? Have you ever said something and as soon as it leaves your lips, it's like everything drops into slow motion. Oh, that's not good. We know it. Husbands and wives, how many times have we said things that we could just bring back? Or maybe you're talking to a friend that you know and you say something to them that somebody else told you in confidence and you weren't supposed to say that to anybody but out it comes and whoosh, just like that, you start a fire. You wish you could travel back in time and, and, and do it over again, have another opportunity, but it's, it's out there. Psalm 141.3 has some great advice for all of us. Help me, Lord, to keep my mouth shut and my lips sealed. That's a good one to pray every day. Because I think all of us can understand that, that saying less is more effective. And sometimes we can say more by, by saying less. Now here's some tongue trivia. Just because I know you're, you're begging for it and you really want it. Did you know that a chameleon's tongue is twice the size of its body? Or listen to this one. The tongue of a blue whale weighs as much as a Ford heavy-duty truck or it weighs as much as an adult uh, elephant. That's crazy, even the, the glance of a whale. Like, that's disturbing. You think you have problems. And yet our tongue only weighs 30 ounces. 
but it can get us in a whole lot of trouble. Controlling the tongue is one of life's biggest challenges. Then James goes on to say in verses 7 through 12 that, that there are people who can, they can tame all kinds of animals, or they think they can. But no one can tame the tongue with their own strength and their own understanding. He says, sometimes our tongues can be at church, praising the Lord one minute, and then cursing someone in traffic on the way home from church. It can happen that quick. And then he further illustrates this by saying that, that fresh and bitter water can't flow from the same tap. So I think all of us need to be aware of what's flowing from our lives to the people around us. Our words reveal our heart in a way that nothing else can. Abraham Lincoln once said, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> That's great. James 1.19, we're going back a little bit in the book, says be quick to listen, slow to speak. We need to submit our tongues to him and speak words of life instead of words of death. And it's easy to complain. It's easy to, to criticize, to tear people up, to rip people down, and to speak death. But you need to be decisive. You need to be intentional when it comes to speaking the words of life. Now let's continue with verse 13 as he starts with a question. And he begins to identify two kinds of wisdom. James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, if I were sitting across from you at a table at Starbucks with a cup of coffee, and I said to you that same question, who's wise and understanding among you? Who's wise in your life? Immediately, there would be people maybe that come to your mind or names. Could be a teacher, could be a, a pastor, could be an older, wiser family member. But James is about to tell us what true wisdom really looks like. But before we, we kind of push into this, I think it's important to also understand uh, the, that wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is the head, wisdom is the, the heart. A wise man will have knowledge, but a knowledgeable man doesn't necessarily have wisdom. It takes knowledge to build a house. It takes wisdom to build a home. It took knowledge to build the Titanic, but wisdom to avoid the, the iceberg. Wisdom and knowledge are very different. Wisdom goes to a deeper level. James 3, 13 through 16 says, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now this connects kind of to our teaching last week when we talked about wisdom showing up in our deeds or our actions. Tell me you're a Christian without telling me you're a Christian. I should be able to see it in the way that you live your life. Verse 14, but says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, so it's not a head issue, it's a heart issue, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, James is now gonna identify the first type of wisdom, such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. So that's wisdom behind door number one. Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil and practice. In other words, I don't need to, to prove to you 
when you're, you're already, I don't need to prove to you the condition of your, your heart when it's already evident in the way that you're living your life. So think about your life. Think about all of your relationships. This is where we see whether we're operating in earth's wisdom or the wisdom of the kingdom, heaven's wisdom. James is trying to shake us up so that we can see that it's not okay to, to say yes to Jesus, but continue living our lives like he has no influence or no say in how we do it. That needs to change. It needs to change. It's not just a club. It's not some kind of fan club. Jesus doesn't need fans. He needs followers, people that will follow in his ordered steps. He wants us to grow so that, that we're not filled in our lives with disorder, so that our relationships are not chaotic and, and out of control. The Holy Spirit will transform us as we rely on his power to bring order and, and growth in our lives instead of chaos. We've got too much chaos sometimes. It's exhausting. We need that to settle as we operate in the wisdom of God. Verses 17 through 18 says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, that's the, now the wisdom he's gonna talk about behind door number two, the wisdom from heaven, this one looks a little bit different. And he's gonna give us some characteristics of what this kind of wisdom looks like. It's first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then he comes back to this point. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So James clearly identifies two types of wisdom wisdom from heaven and the wisdom of the earth. And sadly, more and more these days, and this is where we need to be very careful, many Christians are listening to and operating by the wisdom of, of this earth, of this current day. And it doesn't need to be proven because oftentimes you can see it evident in the way that they're living their lives. There's disorder and every evil practice that comes as a result. And we see the face of evil in the world. So we know there's many people that are operating that way. And that's just not restricted to those that are followers of Christ or not. We can all be pulled in a direction where we listen to the wrong voice. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. Sometimes the things that we want God has already spoken to us and we know they're not the best things for our lives and they lead to a place of darkness and despair. But as his church, we need to take a stand for truth and be led by heavenly wisdom in every part of our lives. So that, that school of thought, that train of thought rounds out the third chapter. Now let's move into James chapter four. You know, I've always loved the Star Wars saga, especially the kind of the underlying story of the resistance, right? This small, secretive, private military force standing against the heavy hand of the, the First Order. It's kind of the age-old story of the big guy against the little guy, the, the David and Goliath picture. But this idea of resistance is something that, that James picks up on as a solution to the fights and all the, the bickering and the quarrels that we find ourselves in, whether it's the day-to-day -day stuff or whether it's at a higher level, whether it's global conflict, whether it's wars and, and the things that we're seeing in the news today, which brings James' command sharply into focus when he said in verse 7 of chapter 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
So we're all a part of the, the resistance. It's something that we need to walk in each and every day. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, James confronts a, a pleasure-seeking people about all their fighting with one another, all their conflict. And, and, and he's about to kind of reveal their messed up motives. You see, because of the war happening on the inside of them, it was now spilling over and causing war on the outside. Instead of taking their needs to God, their des desires, their selfish desires, were driving them to, to steal and scheme and kill and take it from their brother. James 4.3 says, and even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You're only thinking of yourself, basically. You want only what will give you pleasure. So when the enemy attacks us today, what can you and I do? What can we do to resist him actively? First thing that we need to do is we need to run to God every time. Our first and greatest defense against the attacks of the devil is to live in right relationship with God. James 4.4 says, don't you realize that friendships with the world make you an enemy of God? I say it again. Anytime somebody says in scripture, and this is James saying, I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You cannot have it both ways. In other words, he's saying quit flirting with evil and make this intentional choice to be an enemy with the world's way of thinking by aligning yourself with God in the ways of the kingdom. James 4, 7 to 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. So we need to submit, we need to resist, and we need to come near. Submit to God, resist the devil, and come near to God. We can't resist the devil if we're, we're not living in close and intimate relationship, having an intimate relationship with God himself. We need to pull ourselves ever closer. Second thing that, that we need to do in order to resist the enemy effectively is to humble yourself before God. Pride always makes us vulnerable to the enemy. After all, that was his own downfall, wasn't it? James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. That's a reference to Proverbs 3 and 34. In verse 10 of James 4, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. When people are so used to walking in step with the ever-changing philosophies and thinking of the, the world and all their opinions, which is shaped by popular culture and social media and entertainment, they begin to view sin as kind of semi-acceptable. As long as I'm not too bad of a person, I should be able to have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. But it always starts with a little bit, doesn't it? First a little bit, then a lot, and then it's completely out of control. But again, again James is kind of like that harsh teacher I told you about, right? He's that, that teacher who is effective in bringing the truth, but it's not always easy to hear or to listen to. Because he's urging us to take sin very, very seriously. To guard your life against anything that would separate us from our relationship with God. Always stay humble before God. And the third thing, take up the word of God. 
The word of God was one of the themes in the, the first chapter of James. We have the word to stand through trials and temptation and move from being a listener to an actual doer. That's what Jesus did. Jesus resisted the, the devil's temptations with the word. What did he keep saying? It is written. It is written. It is also written, right? Matthew 4, 4, 5, and 7. And, then, and, 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 and listen, to, when I look at that, when I read that, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for all of you. That's the, the model he gave to us. It is written. You don't know what's written unless you read it. But if you don't know the word, you can't use the word. The promise of James 4, 7 assures us that we can resist him. Submit yourselves to his word. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Part of our submission to God is a clear understanding of his promises. And those promises, those promises fuel our resistance. All right, next week we're going to pick it up again with chapter 5 and then move into the conclusion of this series on the book of James. But I want to encourage you as these weeks go along to continue spending time in this little book. Because like I said, you can read the entire thing from, from its beginning to its end in under an hour. So spend some time meditating on its truth because those practical things, they're, they're things that you could walk in each and every day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word that is effective and alive within us. We thank you for the book of James and for these, this practical map of how faith works within our lives. I pray that we would understand that, that our words matter, that the things we say count, and that we can speak words of life or we can speak words of death. And that in doing that, we can resist the enemy when we first submit ourselves to you. And when we come close to you each and every day, we can resist the temptations and the things that, that come upon us so that nothing will overtake or overwhelm us but that you would increase and we would decrease in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God's best, Calvary. We'll see you again next week.